Good evening. It is good to see you again. Let's open our Bibles, please, to 1 Samuel chapter 30. The Lord is risen. Oh, yes. Some years ago, a giant sequoia tree was cut down in California. And after a detailed examination to determine the age and history of the tree, scientists made this report. This sequoia was a seedling 271 years before Christ. 516 years later, that is 245 years after Christ, it was severely damaged by a forest fire. At once, nature set to work to heal the wound by growing layers of living tissue over the gigantic scar left by the flames. In another century, the wounds had been completely healed. In later years, two more fires damaged the tree. The first of these had been entirely healed, and the second was almost healed when the tree was finally cut down. Now, what does a giant sequoia tree have in common with David of old? Well, David and his men had been rejected by the Philistines. You recall there was a time when they took him on to fight against Israel. This was David himself. But now he was under suspicion. And there are other Philistine kings who said, we can't trust him. After all, he is an Israelite. He may turn on us. And so he was rejected from this Philistine campaign. Meanwhile, what had happened was that David had collected a different group of men in the whole area who were called in Scripture worthless they were rebels. They were rabble-rousers. What a ragtag group of men for David to have on his team. They had settled in the little village of Ziklag. And in that village, they had married wives, they had children, and they made this place their home while they were out on military expeditions. But this time, the Amalekites came in without the knowledge of David and his men. And the Amalekites had set the village on fire and had kidnapped all the women and all the children. That's the setting for our study tonight. Well, what's David going to do in all of this? To say that David had a calamity is really a gross understatement of what the reality was. But verse 30 is that in which we can take heart and in which the Holy Spirit of God led David to take heart as well. So in all of this mess, and you won't find the word mess in the Hebrew text, but in all of this mess and calamity, we have these words that it would do well for many of us to put them perhaps with calligraphy on some paper and hang it in a prominent place in our home. Verse 30, last part of verse 6. But David 
strengthened himself in the Lord his God. That will serve as our text this evening. Here's where we're headed. First, we'll talk about the context of affliction. Secondly, the course of adjustment. You may have noted I like alliteration. Alliteration a lot. Thirdly, the cogent advantage. What's your advantage, David? Can you take hope in all of this mess in which you find yourself? And then finally, the comfort of accessibility. David had direct line in accessibility to Almighty God himself, and this was a young man who knew his God. Before we begin to study the text, we need to seek the face of the only one who ultimately counts. Let's look to our God. Father, we confess that we come to your word, and many times we don't know what to do with it. We don't know how to start. We're not even sure of the questions that should be asked, or the answers that might be given. But we do come, Father, with this great assurance from your word that we are helplessly dependent upon the Holy Spirit of God. And help us, Father, this day and days to come to celebrate for the Christian whose eyes are stayed on Christ Dependence Day. Always dependent upon you. Father, please open our eyes to see your truth and move our hearts to step into that truth for the glory of your holy, righteous, almighty, gracious, sovereign name. Amen. First of all, we consider the context of affliction. Three observations. I like the word observations. If you want to call them points, you can do that too. They're just not as flowery as observations. Observation number one. Consider with me the suffering of loss. This is the context of his affliction. The suffering of loss. Ziklag was overthrown and burned. The family members of David's men were kidnapped. They were stolen away. But you see, we have the end of the story. They did not. As far as David and his men were concerned, my beloved wives for David are dead. And the children coming from those wives are dead. And all the wives of all the men are dead. And all the children of all the men and their wives are dead. That's the appearance of things. That's what they saw on this side of the veil. Again, we know the end of the story. We know what happened. We know the outcome. They didn't know the outcome, and neither do we know our outcome. When we go through times of affliction... The suffering of great loss. Note verse 2 and 3 of our text. 
and taken captive the women and all who were in it, both small and great. They killed no one, but carried them off and went their way. And when David and his men came to the city, they found, a, they found it burnt with fire, and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. Not only is there the suffering of loss, second observation in this context of affliction is that there was the threat of death. Look at these loyal souls who come to their leader. And David was greatly distressed, verse 6, for the people spoke of stoning him because all the people were bitter in soul, each for his sons and daughters. Your fault, David. What's David to do? Stay home? What's David to do? To predict the future and go by that prediction? What's he to do? Was he in any sense at fault? No. He was guiltless in all of this. But when there is a hurtful soul, that is a soul that is hurting so deeply, oftentimes there are going to be barbs and spears sent out to go after the ones that are responsible for these things in my life. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. The threat of death. Henry Drummond, speaking on bitterness, said the following. He said, No form of vice nor worldliness, not greed of gold, not drunkenness itself, does more to unchristianize society than evil temper. For embittering life, for breeding up communities, for destroying the most sacred relationships, for devastating homes, for withering up men and women, for taking the bloom off childhood, in short, for sheer, gratuitous, misery-producing power, this influence stands alone. What do we do with resentment? If it's not handled, it becomes bitterness. What do you do with bitterness? We die. Two years ago, I had cancer removed from my body. I would rather have stayed home and said, leave me alone. I'm uncut. I don't want to be cut. Well, that's ridiculous. My body had to be cut. Why? Because if it's not cut, and if that which is poisonous in my system is allowed to stay... The body dies. And so with resentment and bitterness, sometimes it has to be cut out. And the cutting process never feels good. It always, always hurts. Dr. Sudenoth and I, for several years, worked together. And in counseling, my dear friend and associate was a mover and a shaker. He was an accelerator type person. I've always been a brake person. He'd say, Al, let's move ahead on this. I'd say, John, let's slow down a little bit. Let's back away from this a little bit. 
We didn't use that in a competitive way, by God's grace and mercy. We used it complementarily. So what happened, John would take the figurative scalpel and start cutting. And there needs to be some cutting to dig away at the bitternesses in one system. What did Al Vivona do? He didn't grab another scalpel. He didn't need to. I came along with the bandages. I started patching up the wounds that my brother had caused for the sake of the patient getting better. So with bitterness, it's got to be rooted out. David could have become bitter, but in this, he strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Observation number three. What's the context of affliction? Thirdly, it's the shattering of hope. David was anointed 13 years prior to this. He was anointed to be Israel's king when he was 17. Now he is on the very edge of being 30. And for the young people here, that's an awfully old age. And for those of us who are not in that category, that happened twice for me. I won't mention Pastor Heller. You figure that out all by yourself. By the way, brother, God's enthusiasm that he's placed in your heart encourages this body. And I'm encouraged by it, and I'm challenged by it. So uh, keep going, brother. Keep doing the stuff, the good stuff for God. But watch this. As far as David was concerned, would he ever get to be king? Because he's now an old man of 30. Practically on the verge of death. I'm being somewhat sarcastic, just a little bit. I'm not going to make it. The shattering of hope. I'd like to introduce you to my dear friend Thakadil Simon, who's from India. Simon and I were in seminary together, and we worked in the brake lining business, a factory in Winona Lake, Indiana. You know what our job was? For a year and a half, I worked with powdered asbestos every night for six hours. No protection of any kind. It's powdered asbestos. Is there anyone here that grew up in or have relatives in the coal mining districts of Pennsylvania? <laughs> a lot. A lot of connections there. Black lung. Ever hear of that? Yeah. deal would work beside me. I was 23 at the time. He was 29 at the time. He had five children. Preparing seminary, been taking seminary for five, six years now. Had to take care of his family. He's a hard worker, great student. And he came to me one night and he says, I had to kick myself. I says, what happened? He says, I was murmuring, complaining against my gracious God. I have been waiting 29 years to serve him. And I haven't even started yet. And then he said, the Lord laid this upon his heart. My dear child, Thakadil. We called him Simon, a little easier for us 
than Thacadil. My dear child, Thacadil, my son started his ministry at 30. You still have another year yet before you get started. Thacadil says, I can do whatever I need to now by God's grace and mercy, by looking at my Savior. And if he started his ministry officially at 30, then by his grace and mercy, so can I. Boy, that's rich. Secondly, there's the course of adjustment. It says in our text, but he strengthened himself. Let's make adjustments to this picture, to this situation. Am I going to stay in this context of affliction? Am I going to say, poor me, poor me, poor me? And quite frankly, people don't want to hear our poor me story too many times. Once and a half probably is about enough on average. But he strengthened himself. How did he do that? Observation number one. He studied the scripture. Turn to Job chapter 23, verse 1. I don't think verse 1 is the one I want, but when we get there, we'll find out. Job chapter 23, I think we're actually looking at verse 12. Sometimes those uh, keyboards do what they want to. Oh, Uh, I may have to leave this for another time. It doesn't seem that it's working too well. Oh, here it is, verse 12. I have not departed from the commandment of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my portion of food. Sandy and I were discussing before we came tonight whether we should stop and get a pizza on our way back home. What are we going to have for supper? Pizza's okay. I'm, I'm a Sicilian in background, so I should be eating pizza for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, I expect. But I haven't found a lot of good pizza joints lately. But every once in a while, I become really satisfied with something called pizza that's really done up well. But I tell you, nothing comes close to the nourishment of God's Word. Not even pizza or lasagna or any other Italian word that you can use. Doesn't come close. I desire your commandments, your truth, your word more than my regular portion of food. And when an Italian says that, that means something. Turn to Psalm 119. Psalm 119. Isn't our God great? Yes? Somebody say yes. <laughs> Good. <laughs> Psalm 119, verse 9. You know the verse as well. Verse 9 says, How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I've stored up your word in my heart in order that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. 
In the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Look at verse 18. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. David had no access to the revelation of the New Covenant, the New Testament. He had no access to that. Where was his nourishment? Where was his delight? Where was his meditation? What we would call the Old Testament, what the Hebrews would call simply the Hebrew Scriptures. Do this as an experiment. Go through the books of sometimes Leviticus or Numbers or First Chronicles and see how rich these passages really are. You're going to have to really search. You're going to have to hunt. You're going to have to work at it. But it's God's Word. And God has things in His Word for us to honor His own name. Blessed is the man that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. I left one out, but his delight is in the law of the Lord in which he meditates day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, bringing forth its fruit in due season. I highly recommend God's grace in this assembly, noting that the Lebanon Bible Fellowship Church's commitment to the consistent and faithful Bible memory program of our young people is taking place and flourishing, and don't ever let it stop. Our kids here, by God's grace, know the book. They know the Word. Where did they get that? Because by His grace and mercy, you're teaching them all the time. Don't stop that. Continue with a kind of fervor that says, I'd rather be dead than not communicate these glorious truths to my kids. Observation number two. He ran to God in prayer. He ran to God. Why would a person run to God in prayer? You run after something that's worth chasing. My wife chased me until I caught her. My beloved wife. I've had no interest and another woman since the very first date that we had back in 1967. Kids, you'll only know that from the history books. Probably some of the writers of those weren't even around then. And that has never changed. I go running to my wife. I go running to my Lord. That's the things that count. You know, someone of our midst recently got engaged. Did you know that? Oh, they'll tell you about it. I'm not going to tell you. They'll tell you about it. 
Turn to Psalm 109. Several years ago, I was in great perplexity in my own spirit. I thought I'd been betrayed. I don't know if I was or not, but I thought I was betrayed. And Psalm 109, verse 4, was great encouragement to me. It's a very short verse. It says, In return for my love, they accuse me, but I give myself to prayer. Let's go running after God. Let me ask you, is it worth running to God? Is it worth it? What an understatement. Of course it's worth it. L.A.T. Van Duren wrote a book called Prayer, the Christian's Vital Breath. In this, he says, prayer is intended to bring us closer into closer fellowship with God and thus more and more into line with his will and purposes. It is God's intention that we pray. As we pray, we should come to know more of his will and also be brought into the position where we desire that his will be done. Prayer is not intended to be a quick and easy give me. Prayer is an attitude of life. It is fellowship with the Lord and Savior, a spiritual exercise intended to be as much a part of the Christian life as breathing is to the physical life. You need to breathe? If you don't need to breathe, you don't need running, running to God in prayer. Why not? Because you're dead. But if you need to breathe then we need to run to God in prayer because he is the giver and sustainer of all of life. Observation number next. I think we're on three. Here it is. He remembered God's faithfulness. You see, while we're remembering God's faithfulness, we always get surprised over and over again because he always comes up with something that we thought we'd never heard of before. His grace is not just amazing once or twice, but he always surprises his own with more grace and more mercy. And we stand back and we say, what an amazing Savior and God that we have. I'll give you some references here, just jot them down. Psalm 59, verses 15 and uh, through 17, and Psalm 89, verse 1. Years ago, that was put into the form of a chorus on the faithfulness of Almighty God. Observation number four. He spoke to others of God's glory. Didn't just keep it to himself. I love Pastor Reed's emphasis all the time. Go beyond the doors. She ever told you that? He tells us that all the time. To reach out to those who need to hear God's message of saving grace. They need to hear that. And where will they hear it? It'll have to be from our lips. This is rhetorical. Is Christ your Savior? Then you are called to witness of His grace. Yeah, but I'm not. doesn't make any difference what you are. Those He has called, He has equipped. So if he's called you to himself in salvation, he's equipped you for that. And part of that equipment is, and I'm going to use the vernacular here, to blab this message all over creation. Who is the prisoner in Paul's day? 
when he was chained to the Roman centurion. Who really was the prisoner? It wasn't Paul, the apostle. It was that poor Roman guy that had to have this guy fastened to him every place he went. And what did Paul do? He blabbed the message of Jesus Christ all day long, all night long, and the Roman guard couldn't get away from him under law. I think that's pretty good stuff. Number five, he worshiped with God's people. He worshiped with God's people. A couple of psalms here. I would have you turn with me, please. Get these fingers all ready to turn pages. Psalm 122, verse 1. I need a reader for that. Who'd like to read that verse? Stand and read it, please, so that we can all hear you. Psalm 122, verse 1. Anyone can do this. Yep. So you don't know who I'm pointing to. Just yeah, Eric. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. This is not just a, an individual setting. This is a corporate setting. Psalm 133, verses 1 through 3. Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It's like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on his collar of his robes. Aaron was a high priest. He was anointed by the oil from God for this particular position as priest between God's people and God himself. And when they anointed him, they poured oil over his head. And this text is letting us know, when brothers dwell together in unity, it's like the blessing of oil being poured out all over the head. And it just flows right down through the garments. Forget the stains. Forget the spots on the garments. It is a precious thing for brothers to dwell together in unity. In the unity of the blood of Jesus Christ. And then we continue with another picture. It is like the dew of Hermon. Mount Hermon, elevation 9,000 feet. And Israel's main supply of water would either come directly from the heavens in the form of rainfall, which were very sparse, or from Mount Hermon. And there were three nations that were vying for that water source. And those same three nations are vying for it today. There's Syria, there is Lebanon, and there is Israel. And if Syria and Lebanon can cut off Israel's access to Mount Hermon, you know what happens to the land of Israel? It dies, and everything in it. So what is the blessedness of the unity of the brothers? The blessedness is it's like the water that flows down from Hermon, Mount Hermon here, which falls on the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. Psalm 135, verse 1. Praise the Lord, praise the name of the Lord, give praise, O servants of the Lord, who stand in the house of the Lord, in the courts of the house of our God. Praise the Lord, for the Lord is good. Sing to his name, for it is pleasant. A number of you sing. A number of you play musical instruments. Let me ask you, 
Is it ever pleasant to sing or play the praises of God? Always a joy to sing and to play his praises. And then Psalm 84, verses 1 through 4. Psalm 84, beginning with verse 1. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts! My soul longs, yes, faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Even the birds of the heavens take delight in coming together in the house of God, and how much more for God's redeemed people to come together of greater value than the birds of the skies and express their unity in the grace of Almighty God in Jesus Christ. Verse 4 of this 84th Psalm, Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. I love to hear and to watch the various musical instruments being played. Our youngest son is a drummer. We have a sweet little gal here who plays the drums. I I get the biggest kick out of watching that. She really enjoys that. She gets a big kick out of that. I wonder why. When I talked with her, you know what she wanted to talk about? The Lord Jesus Christ. That's all she wanted to talk about. That's all there is to talk about. What a joy. Were you here last Sunday night? When the classical world entered our doors through the violin sweetness of grace? Were you here when she played that violin number? That was unreal. That was fantastic. I just wanted to stand up and, well, it looks silly if I tried to stand on my head. I can't do that. But what a joy. And just to watch our little sister playing her musical instrument so that God would be glorified in all of it. How much we can rejoice in God's goodness. I'm basically just going to state these next ones because I think I'm running out of time. It's a good thing we don't have a clock. A pastor oftentimes doesn't look at a clock. He just wants to know how far behind he is. Uh, So that's what I'm wondering tonight. But let's move with this. Number three, note the cogent advantage. But David strengthened himself in the Lord. That's his cogent advantage in these times of trial and affliction. Three observations. He had a divine shelter. Write this down. He had a divine shelter. He had a divine supplier. And he had a divine, uh, a distinct sovereign. David had a divine shelter. Grandma was 91. My mother was watching her for a while. And one day, Grandma was in her bedroom. And she decided she'd sleep in way over time, like to about 7.30. But she heard her mother, my grandmother, talking, and there wasn't anyone in the room. And my mother was nervous. 
has grandma gone over the edge? She had a sharp mind. So she went in and she peeked around the corner. She says, Mother, are you all right? This is driving me nuts, she said, 91 years old. Mom says, what's driving you nuts? She says, my favorite psalm is Psalm 91. And I am 91 and I have not memorized this psalm yet. That's a shame. So she's trying to memorize this 16 verses of Psalm 91. So she's going over and over. And every once in a while she gets where, forgets where she is. Or what the next line is. And so she goes ahead and if she were my wife's grandmother, who, is, uh, who was deaf, she'd slap her hand as a corrective measure. Got to do this again. Got to make another start on this again. That was my grandmother. Now, why did I bring that up? Listen to these words. Oh, I love this passage. This book is full of these passages. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and buckler. This doesn't relate to our message. My grandmother's maiden name was Barton. And my great uncle's name was Preston Barton. That's a story all by itself. I love it when Preston smiles. The whole world smiles when he smiles. Observation number next, number two. David had a definite supplier in the Lord. This is definite article, not a Lord. Not a panoply of gods, I'll choose one. Uh-uh. He strengthened himself in the Lord, his God. Remember what the Shema was of Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4? Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6. I'd like to add a couple of verses to that. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, and I'll be reading through verse 9. I was an expert at raising children until the Lord gave us children. And all my expertise went right out the window. But this sticks. And here it is. Deuteronomy 6.4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. These words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Pastor Reed always goes for the heart. You ever notice that? Always. What's so great about that? It's true. It's God's word. And it works. These words I command you shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand 
They shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. By the time Jesus came along, the Pharisees had taken a literal handling of this, and they built little boxes. And they put portions of Scripture, the Old Testament Scriptures, on parchment, and they would put it in the boxes. And then they would strap the box to their arm, and they would wind up this uh, rawhide all the way up their arm so that people would see. See this box? I have bound God's Word to my wrist, to my arm. That's what the text says. And then the more spiritual of them did this. You cannot help but notice, look between my eyes, and I carry a box between my eyes. I really must be something here. And then they would change the size of the phylacteries, the boxes, so that if one box would be a quarter of an inch longer or wider or both than someone else's box on his forehead, he was more spiritual. Forget the heart. That is gross idolatry in the name of God. The Lord our God is one. David strengthened himself in the Lord. The Lord is God. Thirdly, this is observation three, he had a distinct sovereign Turn to Revelation chapter 19. I would like all of us to turn to that, if you would, please, with me. Revelation chapter 19. Oh, I love this passage. This is a passage, I'll tell you. Uh, It's hard to get over Scripture. I hope we never do get over Scripture. I hope we never aim for something less than the untold billions of wealth that this poor earth has to offer Revelation, chapter 19, beginning with verse 11. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. The name by which he is called is the Word of God. The armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. We can't get strengthened any more than that reality. We have a distinct sovereign. No one matches, certainly not surpasses, the position, the radiance, the grandeur, the glory of our God. Aren't you thrilled by him? And what else is there to be thrilled about?
This will serve as our conclusion. Fourthly, I want us to note the comfort of accessibility. I notice three things here, and that is that God cares. He really does care. Can someone quote 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7? Casting. Casting all your care or anxiety upon him, for he cares for or is anxious for you. Does he care? Does he weep? Does he rejoice with you? With his own? All the time. I am his and he is mine. Wow. Secondly, God communicates. Go back to 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 8, just for this one verse, and listen to these words. And David inquired of the Lord, Shall I pursue after this band? Shall I overtake them? He answered him. This is God answering the inquirer, David. Pursue. For you shall surely overtake and shall surely rescue. You take those of the school of the occult and with all kinds of psychics and mediums out there all around us, and they are thoroughly all around us. They don't have a clue to reality at all. And any projection made about the future, if it doesn't come true 100% without fail, it is not from God, it's a lie. And we run in the opposite direction from that kind of folly. Lastly, here it is. I had a lastly this morning about three times. This is one lastly. God cures. C-U-R-E-S. God cures. Look at our text, verse 18, 19, and 20. We'll close with this. Psalm, uh, uh, 1 Samuel 30, verse 18. David recovered all that the Amalekites had taken, and David rescued his two wives. Nothing was missing, whether small or great, sons or daughters, spoil or anything that had been taken, David brought back all. David also captured all the flocks and herds, and the people drove the livestock before him and said, this is David's spoil. To which David must have replied, this spoil is from the hand of God, blessed be his holy name. Take joy, my beloved brothers and sisters, that we too have equal access through the blood of Jesus Christ in order to be strengthened in the Lord our God all the time and in the deepest circumstances. Let's pray. Father, seal your word to our hearts. 
help us to forget a lot of stuff and a lot of junk that we take in every day. Cleanse our hearts and our minds. Help us to think on the one alone who is worthy to be thought of, to be praised and honored and glorified and worshipped. Accept our praise tonight in Jesus' glorious name, and we ask it all through his blood. Amen. We're dismissed. I want to thank you for coming.